We are, we're jumping back into Matthew, and uh, we're going to be beginning chapter 6. We've been in chapter 5 for quite some time, but uh, we are now transitioning into chapter 6, and uh, we're really following up where we left off last week as we talked about the heart of Christ and His example to us of loving his enemy. Remember, we just just a slight overview from last week. We talked about how Jesus, uh, he did not wait for us to get our lives together before he died on the cross for us, right? In fact, his death, burial, and resurrection are what enable us to have a new life. So it's God's grace. God's grace precedes our faith. God's grace is the activator for our faith. And the bloody cross and the empty tomb is what gives us the power to have this new life. And Jesus died for us, as scripture says, while we were still helpless. While we were still enemies of God. And so last week we, we looked at Matthew 5, 40, 43 through 47. We talked about how if Jesus while we were still helpless, died for us, then the resurrection power of God enables us to love even our worst enemy, to show them the power of Christ. And so Easter really is this this representation of the power for new life. Now this week we're going to take that uh, a little bit further. And we're going to give some practical ideas, uh, maybe how we could love people in our lives. And so uh, I've titled this message today, Showing Christ. Showing Christ. Uh, the whole series is called Diffusers of Grace. We've been in this the Sermon on the Mount and, and talking about what it looks like to be people who carry the essence and the fragrance of Christ into the world. Everywhere you go, you carry with you the fragrance of Christ because you have the Holy Spirit. Christian, you carry the Holy Spirit with you. And we know the Spirit's job is to give testimony about Jesus. So if the Spirit is in me and I carry the Spirit, then what does that mean about me? It means I give testimony about who Jesus is. And I do it through a lot of different ways. I do it through my life. I do it through my actions. I do it through my words. I would argue that you're not living a holistic Christian life if you don't have all those things happening at the same time. If you're not, if you're not living for Christ, if you're not also speaking for Christ, that all these things need to be happening at the same time for us to be living a holistic Christian life. So God's design is that through our holy and righteous living, we will show who Jesus is to a broken and dying world. So here we are, Matthew chapter 6. Let's go ahead and read the first four verses of this chapter. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Can we just give God a praise for his word this morning? Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word. Father, we pray this morning that as we open up your word, as we've read your word, as we now will, will 
chew on this word. And, and Lord, hope, hopefully with your help, we'll digest some of this and actually get it into our system so that we can feast on this word and become more of the people you've created us to be. We want to be like Jesus, so help us this morning. We know, Father, it is impossible for us to take this word and actually put it to work in our lives unless the Holy Spirit helps us. So Holy Spirit, help us this morning to understand what you're calling us to. And God, reveal areas in our lives where we are unrepentant and we need the gospel to touch those areas so we can repent and believe afresh and anew and over and over again and grow closer to who you created us to be in Jesus Christ. We pray these in his name. Amen. So um, I had this memory as I was preparing for this sermon. I remembered this time when I was, uh, I was a freshman in high school and I had only really been a serious Christian for a couple years at this point. Uh, I was in junior high when I really heard the call of God to repent and believe. I had known about Jesus my whole life. You know, I'm, I'm kind of one of those who I, I definitely believe in the progressive work of God in our lives. And so, um, you know, it's, it's very possible that as a child I understood that I needed Jesus uh, in, my, in my heart, but I, I didn't fully understand, uh, understand what that meant for him to just completely um, lead my life. But I remember when I was uh, in junior high and um, the Lord spoke to me through a, a, a sermon by Matt Chandler, who's now become a pretty famous pastor, teacher, but back then he was just an itinerant uh, guy preaching at youth rallies across the country. And, um, and, and, and God convicted my heart and I knew I needed Christ. And God did a transformative work in me. There's no doubt in my mind. And I started learning. And in fact, one of the things the Lord did in my life was he gave me just a hunger for his word. I started carrying my Bible everywhere, like literally everywhere. Am I right, Dad? I mean, everywhere. I, w I would carry this Bible. It was not a little Bible like this either. It was a big, my grandparents had given me this study Bible. And I was like, I want to have the notes. I want to know, I want to study God's word. In fact, it was a life application study Bible, New American Standard, okay? That's the Bible that I had. It was huge, and I, I would, this thing would be in my backpack when I went to school. I would take it with me when I would go to football practice. I mean, all that stuff. I had the word with me because I wanted, when I had time, I wanted to spend time with the Lord. And I remember that in the process of that, God was doing this transformative work in me, that hunger for the word, that spending time in his word. Like God was just chipping away at my sin nature. And, uh, and, and one day when I was a freshman in high school, um, there was this girl who used to pick on me. And, uh, and I, it's because I was too soft, you know, and I should have been a little harder. No, but uh, she used to pick on me and she used to make fun of me. In fact, she used to make fun of me for carrying my Bible everywhere. But I, I, just, I just kept doing it. And, um, and, and one day it was you know, freshman year of high school, probably about half, you know, towards the end of the year. Uh, and by the way, uh, my, every school I ever went to was designed by a boomer. You know how I know that? Because they all had these sunken areas in, in, in like the pit, you know? Well, that was a big thing for the hippies, right? These like sunken living rooms and stuff. Um, and, and so like all the rooms in every school, like every school had one of these rooms that had a pit where, where you walked down into it. And I, ju I just realized like that was designed by boomers. So there, you, you guys and you know, you, you, you were in the hippie movement and that kind of aesthetic, uh, you know, you've made a mark on my life. So, um, but I remember standing by the pit at our high school and um, this girl came up to me and I was ready for her to like, you know, give me the business. 
to quote uh, to quote Wally from Leave It to Beaver. You know, I, th- I thought I thought she was going to give me the business, and 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 what she said, she was like, "What's what's up with you?" And I'm like, "What?" She's like, "Why are you different than everybody else?" And she starts talking about all these things, like I, I've made fun of you, and I've done these things, you, but you're nice to me, and. I see I hadn't realized something that I I didn't actually realize what was happening here that all this time I was quietly living a Christian life I was doing my best I was I mean I'm, I was very green in my faith trust me I like the, the me now looks back on the me then and says that that guy barely knew Jesus at all and I have a feeling in 10 years or 20 years I'm going to look back on me now and say wow what a child in the faith and that's how it's supposed to be right we're supposed to be perpetually growing into Christ but from what I knew at the time I, I was doing my very best to walk with Jesus and there was something God was doing in my character there was some transformation that was happening, and, and, and part of that transformation was I found myself being good to people who weren't very nice to me, and I didn't always do, it wasn't like I was consciously doing that, it was the Spirit working through me, and she saw that, and something, we had a great conversation right there at the pit at our, at our, at our uh, high school, and, and I got to share with her the love of Christ, but I didn't walk up to her with my Bible randomly and just start preaching to her face. Or I didn't like beat her over the head. That would have really hurt with that Bible. Um, that was a real thick Bible. But, but I, that's not how God did that. What happened is I was quietly living for the Lord. And over time, people were watching. And then people started asking questions. I'm not saying there is never a time for us to just open up our Bible and start proclaiming. I think the Spirit leads us in times like that for us to proclaim the gospel. Um, there are all, in fact, Christians, can I just say that we're not as active enough with the proclamation of the gospel. We're far from being as active as we should be with the proclamation of the gospel. But I think one of the reasons why a lot of Christians don't get a lot of opportunities is because our lives aren't really screaming Jesus enough. And, and, and I want to encourage you that it's not this loud, obnoxious, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm shouting it from the streets. That's not what is the most transformative. It is the quiet moments of following the Lord that embolden your testimony, that give your testimony power when you have the opportunity to speak out loud the name of Jesus. When our lives proclaim the gospel first then when our mouths open up to proclaim the gospel it means more and i believe that's what jesus is calling us to in this passage today i want to give four actually let's make it five i'm gonna give you five things today five more things on top of what we talked about last week that i believe the resurrection empowers us to do. And these are meaningful and they are impactful. And they come from a place of having peace with God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So uh, let's, let's look at the first one. Right here in the, this very first verse of chapter 6. Jesus tells us, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. I think what he's calling us to here, and the resurrection empowers us to do this, is to live like we have all we need in Christ. 
Now let me share a little bit about what I mean by that. If our motivation for doing good deeds is to be noticed by people, that really exposes the reality of our truest desire in our heart. If I'm doing good deeds because I want people to notice me, if I'm, if I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm shouting from the rooftops, hey, I'm a Christian, look at me, look how good I am, look at all the good little deeds I've done. You know what Jesus says about a person who's that way? He says, that's your reward. The praise of man, that's your reward. You're not going to get a reward from the Father because you're living not for his glory, but ultimately you're living for your own glory. And Jesus is calling us away from that. We don't want to be motivated by those things. We don't want to have to have attention from people in order to feel justified. Because that's what that's about when I feel like I've got, hey, please notice me. Look how holy I am. What we're saying is in order to feel justified, I have to have others notice me, to look at me. And ultimately, I'm saying I need something other than Jesus. I'm, what I'm preaching to myself is a Jesus plus something else salvation in order to be full and complete when I need attention from other people. Think about Cain and Abel. Cain offered to God not because he loved God. Cain offered to God because he loved himself and he wanted to show how good of a worshiper that he was. So he brought this really great offering. He thought it was so good and God looked at Cain and he said, you didn't bring me the best. You made a show, but really your heart's not in this. And see, when God looked at Abel, Abel's offering, I mean, the description in the Bible, you kind of get the idea, it wasn't as impressive, but Abel brought his most valuable thing. He brought his heart to the table. And that was, there was proof in that of his heart for God that he brought the most valuable part of his produce to the Lord. And he didn't bring it because he wanted people to see him or to be noticed or to, be, or to receive praise from God. He just loved God. Abel was God's friend. God sees right through our inner motives. And I think Jesus is checking us on this because he knows who we are. You know what he knows about you and me? He knows we're sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. He knows we're children of our first parents. He knows that we're tempted to do good in order to be noticed, and he calls us out on that. Jesus... Look, he's, he's the example here. Jesus did not come shouting his divinity from the mountaintops. Remember that? He was born in a barn. Like where the cows do their business. He was born in a barn. Not a beautiful palace. He could have been. I mean, the God of the universe could have chosen a wealthier mother. You know that? He could have chosen to be born in Herod's palace. That was not what he chose. He chose to come in with as little fanfare as possible. When the devil took him up and tempted him and said, hey, look at the whole world. This is mine and I want to give it to you. You know, he wasn't lying. I mean, the devil took the kingship from Adam, didn't he? When Adam submitted himself to the devil. Adam was created to rule this world with God, but the devil tricked Adam and he stole his birthright, just like Jacob stole Esau's birthright. 
Adam, except for the devil, was like, hey, how about some fruit? Man, what a terrible trade that was, you know? I mean, they had all this fruit in the garden, and anyway. But the devil offers to Jesus, he says, you can have all this stuff, you can get noticed. Hey, Jesus, you can throw yourself off the, off the temple mountain. Guess what's going to happen? The Father is going to rescue and send the angels. And it's going to be this big, huge thing, and everyone's going to see who you are. Isn't that amazing how the devil tempted Jesus in that way? You know why he tempted Jesus in that way? Because the devil knows human nature real well. The devil knows how prone we are to lust after fame, to be known to seem like there's meaning. You know, people always talk about leaving a legacy. What do they mean by that? I think most people, when they talk about it, they're like, hey, I, just, I know I'm going to die. I just want to get noticed. I want something real good to be on my tombstone. Maybe have a YouTube ch- uh, account or a channel that has millions of views that people will watch for generations into the future. Like, I want some kind of legacy. Like, that's why people spend tons of money to have a star named after them or to have a mountain named after them or to have some, like, structure named after them because a lot of times people are thinking, man, I just hope that people won't forget my name when I'm dead. And the devil offered Jesus everything that most people ever dream about. And Jesus was like, nah, it's not that great. You know why? Because Jesus says, I'm content with who I am and my Father. I don't need all your stuff, devil, because I'm content with who I am in my Father. Christian, can I encourage you with the same thing? If you're in Christ, you don't need anything else. You want to be famous? You can't get more famous than being known by the Father and by the Son and the Holy Spirit who created everything. The Word says that all things were created through Christ. If you're known by Him, you cannot get more famous than that. Your name is known in heaven. It's better than having 5 million hits on YouTube. It's better than having 5,000 Facebook friends. Facebook's lame anyway. Nobody actually knows you and they don't really care about you. Can we just be honest for a minute? They're, everybody's just there to show how great their life is so you will be jealous and want what they have. Jesus, the only man who ever actually had the kind of glory that was worth grasping a hold of, said, it's not that, not that big of a deal. I don't need it. Paul even tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that Christ emptied himself. I mean, look, we know that Jesus never stopped being God, and yet he lived like a man. He had all of the power of the Godhead at his disposal. He had everything at his disposal because of who he was. And, and, and yet, he chose to walk by the Holy Spirit. He chose to do nothing except for what he saw the Father doing. He fully submitted himself, and Paul says in Philippians 2, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus didn't even see life as something that was that important. And for most of us, we run around acting like it's the only thing that matters is whether I live or die. And Jesus was just like, meh. You know, when Jesus was 33 when he was crucified, I don't think he felt like he missed anything. 
I don't think Jesus had a bucket list. I just think Jesus was doing the will of the Father, and whatever that meant for him, that was what it was. All the way to the cross. And then he rose from the dead, and you know what he kept doing? The will of the Father. Even in his glorious resurrected body, he submitted to the Father. And he spent 40 days in his glorious resurrected body, hanging out with the disciples. I mean, you would think with that resurrected body, you'd just be like, I'm going to be hanging out with some angels now. <laughs> These guys are some dirty fishermen, you know? And that dude's a tax collector. <laughs> but no, you know what he did? He hung out with those guys. And he communed with them. And he spent time with them. And he imparted his glory and his power to them. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, I was reading in Jonathan Edwards' classic, The Religious Affections, and Edwards talks about fear being at the heart of why we have no peace. And I got to thinking about that and the connection here. Because I think for some people there's this fear that we'll fly under the radar, we won't get noticed. There's this fear that we may do a good deed and then it's kind of wasted because nobody saw me do it. But no wonder we don't have any peace because we're always, we're out here looking for everybody to pay attention to us. But listen, if we know there's no condemnation in Christ because in him we're complete and perfect and whole, then I know I don't have to look for others for my approval. I don't have to look to others for, for my approval. I am approved in Jesus Christ because he died on the cross for my sins, because he rose from the dead. I am approved in him. And so you know what that enables me to do? It enables me to live like I have all I, I, I need in Christ. Everything I need, I already have. And so I can go out and I can serve others. I can give to the poor. I can love someone who's hurting and broken, and I don't have to expect anything in return. I can live with that kind of mentality because I have everything in Christ already. Christ is the example for us of divine humility. And the idol of self is just so easy for us to fall into, isn't it? To build our brand. Man, I hear that all the time. You got to build your brand, man. You got to find out who you are. You got to put your stamp on the world. I'm like, nah, Jesus already put the stamp on the world. I just want to get with his program. We show Christ to the world when we live like we truly have all we need in him. People see him through us when we live that way. Okay, that was the first point. Don't worry, these other ones will go a little quicker. Second, we, the resurrection em enables us, empowers us to lower ourselves for the glory of God and the good of others. So, so here Jesus says in the second verse here, so, whatever, so whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. I, I love how Jesus does this here. He doesn't say, well, if you give to the poor. He says, no, when, when you give to the poor. Because Jesus has been extremely generous with us in our spiritual poverty, we are called to be generous to others in response. And, and this, this takes different 
you know, different uh, shapes. Sometimes you come across somebody who's physically poor and you have the means to help them. And so you may give them a, some kind of donation, hand up, maybe a, um, a $10 gift card to Walmart, or uh, maybe you buy them a cheeseburger. I don't know. You just do something nice for them. And I think we should always be listening for the Holy Spirit's prompting on those things. Because you never know when you might be the, the, the link in the chain that actually helps somebody receive the Lord through your kindness and through speaking truth simultaneously. So we're called to be generous. When you see someone who's spiritually broken, we're called by God to meet them in their brokenness. You know, so many of us, were so afraid of broken people. And Jesus spent all his time with prostitutes and tax collectors and all these broken, dirty people. In fact, the Pharisees were like, Jesus, what is your deal? They're, they're going to his disciples and they're like, um, did you know your master eats with prostitutes? And they're probably like, yeah, I know. <laughs> we, we can't do anything about him. He just keeps doing this and we're just along for the ride, you know. Um, but... But Jesus, you know why he kept going to those people? Because he saw spiritual brokenness. And he saw spiritual poverty in them. He saw people that knew they were broken and they knew they needed to change. When we always go to religious people, sometimes, sometimes religious people, they, they are broken too, but they don't know it. They don't see it. And so how can you help someone who, you know, you, someone who has a broken leg and they don't believe they have a broken leg? They're just going to go without a crutch. Oh, I see that all the time. I heard a story this week about some, you know, atheist who was like, oh, Christianity is a crutch. And I'm like, you're an idiot to deny a crutch if you have a broken foot. <laughs> and we're all broken and we're all, we need that crutch. We need Jesus. In fact, the cool thing is, we, yeah, sure, maybe, there, maybe we need a crutch or a splint for a while, but uh, we know in time he's actually going to restore that brokenness. Our generosity extends to those who are poor in flesh, poor in spirit, poor in any other way. We're encouraged to remember what we've received from Christ and to extend that to others. Jesus, the one who has the highest position, came to me in my low position in order to raise me up to where he is. Let's never forget what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5. The one who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become his righteousness. That's hard for me to wrap my brain around. The God of heaven stepping out of the throne room of heaven and putting flesh on, becoming one of us, living a life not that different than the life that we live. I mean, he had a mom, he had a dad, he had brothers and sisters. Can you imagine Jesus' brother shooting a spit wad at him? I mean, like, like Jesus, Je and like, he lived a similar life to us on purpose. The writer of Hebrews tells us that he went through every temptation that any man or woman has ever experienced. Imagine, think of your deepest, darkest temptation that you wrestle with. Jesus faced it and he beat it. He never sinned. He was kind. He was gentle. He was lowly. 
He never tried to prop himself up. Remember, uh, I, I always love this story where, where Jesus' brothers, they, they're like, hey, Jesus, nobody who wants to start a movement does so quietly. They're like, you need to go to the festival and let people know what you're about. Show them all your miracles. And Jesus is like, eh, I'm good. And they all go, and then it says later he went to the festival secretly. He wasn't trying to get his name known. Remember when he healed people, he'd be like, hey, don't tell anybody. Just go to the temple and offer the sacrifice that the law prescribes and, you know, give glory to God. Jesus was never like healing people and be like, all right, go tell them about what I did for you. No, he always said, go and tell people about what God has done for you. Go give glory to God. Jesus himself being God, was always taking the low position for us. So, I want to make a statement about that. Christianity is about those in high places condescending to lower places so those who are low might be brought up in Christ. There are no proud nobles in the church. Make no mistake, we are all noble in Christ. In fact, we're all co-heirs with Christ of the kingdom. That means we're a big deal, okay? But we don't act like we're a big deal. I think because of our human nature, we're tempted to think we've arrived in our own strength. That our own righteousness is what's winning for us. Those below us are no longer worthy. Oh, those filthy sinners. Those filthy, filthy sinners. I am, I am too holy for them now. I'm too Christian now. But if that's our heart, we're nothing like Christ. Matter of fact, if that's our heart, we might want to start asking if, we ever, if we've ever actually met Christ. Because I think if we've met Christ, we've been shattered to the core. <laughs> I still see myself as one of those worthless sinners. I know. I know where I came from. And I, I, the more I walk with the Lord, the more I realize... I might still be closer to the worthless sinner than I am to the glorious Christ. And if I'm anything more than just a worthless sinner, it's because his grace is filling in the gaps of my life. What has raised me up to become the person I am today? It's not because I'm great. I can tell you the choices I would have made with my life are a lot different than the choices that the Lord has led me into. I can tell you that I still have the temptation to think negative thoughts about people and think judgmental thoughts about people. And if I think otherwise, I know it's the tempering work of the Holy Spirit in me. I know, me, I know myself. You know yourself. How messed up are we? I mean, really, if we think about it, how broken are we still? And yet, how great is the good and glorious grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? that we are not who we used to be and we know we are becoming something so much greater. But if you're a believer, you know it's all of grace. You know you're not working your way to God. I mean, yeah, we're joining him in the work of working out our own salvation, but we know that even if we have the tools, the power is grace. We're walking in it. And so, so as we serve people, as we love them, we don't look at that homeless dude and say, man, you know what? That guy should just get a job. 
That's not the heart of Christ. What we do is we say, hey, you know what? He may be using this money to drink, but I feel the Holy Spirit telling me I'm going to bless him, and I'm going to hand him five bucks, and I'm going to say to him, hey, listen, Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you. It's not my job to determine what people do with what I give. But, but if God call, I'm not saying you should always do it every time, all right? I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is when you feel the Spirit's prompting, your job is not to ask about that person's motives. Our job is to give generously to broken people, just like God gives generously to us. God didn't look at me and say, hey, son, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, and then you can come to me. He said, no, I come to you in your brokenness. And I proclaim the power of the gospel. And God did the work for us. And then he brought us along. So maybe God's calling us to have that same mentality towards those who are broken in our world. And you know, the thing about it is, I I just believe that the more that we do that, the more people we're going to see restored into the kingdom. Because if we come to them not expecting anything in return, and we lower ourselves and we give to them, not asking, you know, what, what necessarily they're going to do about it. But we just love them and we say, hey, God loves you. Jesus loves you. He died for you. I, like, I just want you to know this gift is an echo of God's gift to you. And we hand things off that way, not expecting anything in return. People will see Christ through us. Look, the mark of one mark, one of the marks of a true believer is that we don't need to be noticed by people in order to feel full. And we also don't need people to get their acts together before we'll love them. All right, I promise you these next two are really short. <laughs> the third is the third thing is that we are empowered by the resurrection to do glory, do good for the glory of Christ alone. Listen to what he says in verse three. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Again, Jesus emphasizes here the secretive nature of our good works. Our works, they may well be noticed by people. In fact, I will tell you that if you're constantly doing good for people, you are gonna get noticed at some point. Just like Jesus was eventually noticed, you know, after a while, he couldn't hide from people because they noticed. <laughs> they started bringing people to him. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> but, he, he, but that wasn't what he was living for. It was the Father who promoted Christ. It was not himself. It wasn't self-promotion. So even as we are noticed, I would encourage us that we've always got to be quick to give God, the glory for our good works. It's not us. It's Christ working in and through us. If Jesus didn't self-promote, then surely we should never self-promote. We are called by God to work in silence and allow the goodness of God to shine through us because we want the glory of God to be our clothing rather than human glory to be our clothing. Fourth thing is that we are called to be content with God's reward. Here Jesus says, so in the fourth verse, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. The Lord rewards us when we make our good works about him 
rather than about ourselves. And, and I love how Jesus here doesn't say the Father might reward you. Notice he says that the Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's, I mean, that's, that's pretty straightforward. It's going to happen if you're living this kind of a life. Now, what does that reward look like? I think that anybody who gives with the motivation that we might get back from God, that's actually sinful giving. We want to give with no strings attached. I want to love with no strings attached. I don't know what the Father's reward looks like, but here's what I, a couple things I know for sure. I know that when we live this kind of life, when we have this kind of mindset, we experience more of His peace. Because we're not looking for others. We're not looking to others for approval. We experience more of His peace. We also experience a greater measure of His presence. I, I can only say that that I know as I've walked with the Lord more and more, I have experienced more of the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And it's not because people have taken notice of me. It's actually in my quiet moments when I'm just faithfully serving the Lord that I feel most power. I've heard it said that it's what you do in your prayer closet that empowers you on the mountaintop. And I believe that's true. And the fifth and final thing I want, I want to encourage us with. Now, this is, this is uh, I'm actually pulling from a different scripture here. But um, that, that in the midst of all of this, as we live this way, we are called by God to boldly proclaim his goodness. And I want to reference back to 1 Peter chapter 3. I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but um, Peter says, Who will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? In verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do so with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that those who have accused you, uh, who have disparaged your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. We are called by God through the Lord Jesus, to live our lives quietly in such a way that when people notice our good character in Christ, and they will notice our good character, then we'll have a powerful testimony about what Christ has done for us. And we are not to shy away from sharing that testimony. Preach Christ with your actions and also with your words at the same time. And I want to encourage us in that. Because Christ Jesus is risen, I can live generously knowing the world is not all that I have. I have a better future and I am empowered and emboldened to invite others to come into this future with me because there was a bloody cross, because there is an empty tomb. Christ has washed away our sins and now he calls us to new life. And all of this is about a general heart of repentance. Thinking of myself less, thinking of God more. Turning my heart away from myself and towards Christ. And church, I want to encourage you, that's where peace is. Peace is not in living for yourself. Peace is not in getting whatever you can in this world. All these things in in the Sermon on the Mount, you know all these things, you know what Jesus is calling us to? turning away from self and turning towards him and towards others in repentance. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the New Covenant Fellowship podcast. 
we want to connect with you, you can visit us online at ncfokc.org for more information about our church. If God spoke to you and you'd like prayer, please text us at 405-518-518. 5164 and we will get back with you. God bless and have a great day.